We're going to go to Matthew chapter 4 tonight, if you will, the Gospel of Matthew and chapter number 4. I always, uh, always love to see families serving the Lord together. Blesses my heart. Very thankful. A lot of things going on around the world, wars and rumors of wars. Jesus is coming back. I'm looking for it. Tonight would be good. It would be good. Matthew chapter 4, look at verse number 1. The Bible says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command these that these stones be made bread. But he, Jesus, answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, if you leave your Bible open there, we're going to look at a few more verses here in Matthew 4. And I'm going to start a new series tonight. And I think I'm going to call it this. Standards. Why bother the series? Standards. Why bother? And I titled the message for tonight just the basic understanding of standards because, well, we'll get, let's get into the message and then I'll expound on that some. Let's pray. Father, one final time, we just ask for your power, guidance, Lord, clarity of speech. I need that tonight, mind, that empowerment that I need that I would preach this message the way that you'd have it done. Lord, I pray you'd open up the ears of the listeners and that they would be hearers of your word. Help us tonight, Lord, by the preaching of your word. We pray that you'll do what we can. And thank you for your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for standing for the reading of the word of God. And please be seated. When I mentioned, let me get everybody's attention. Right from the beginning here. When I mentioned standards, uh, many things may have passed through our minds. Uh, Some may have even thought, oh boy, here we go, here we go. You know, I guess preacher is going to start trying to tell us how to blah, 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 because he thinks yada, 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 or whatever the case may be. And if that was the case, let me encourage you to get those thoughts out of your head, okay? Just, just get those thoughts out. I don't want you to have any preconceived notions about where I'm going tonight or even in the weeks ahead. I don't want you to have preconceived notions about that. I want us to be attentive to the Word of God and what God has for us in, in all of this because that's our final authority. We know that. Um, this is not going to be about my personal opinions of things. And, and if I do voice those, my personal opinions, throughout any of the messages to come, uh, I'll make it clear about such. I'll make it clear that that's my opinion about things. But here's the thing that we have to understand. It's important we understand. God has a standard. He has a standard. And that should be something that we consider very important to understand. And if we are going to understand this from the very ground level, let's start out right there with the definition of standard. 
And uh, as I always do, I went first to the old Webster's 1828 dictionary and pulled out these two definitions under standard. It said this, that which is established by sovereign power as a rule or measure by which others are to be adjusted. He goes on with this. Thus the Winchester bushel is a standard of measures in Great Britain and is adopted in the United States as their standards of weights and long measure. And then the other definition was this. That which is established as a rule or model, listen to this, by the authority of public opinion or by respectful opinions or by custom or by general consent as writings which are admitted to be the standard of style and taste. So with these two definitions, we have one that talks about being established with a sovereign power and we know that we have a sovereign God. Somebody say amen. And then it talks about those that are established by rule or model by public opinion or respectable opinion or custom or general consent. So we have those two out of the old 1828 Webster's Dictionary. And then I went ahead to, the, to a modern online dictionary and pulled out two definitions from that. And here's what they say. The first one said this, something considered by an authority or by general consent as a basis of comparison and approved model. And the second one said this, a rule or principle that is used as a basis for judgment. And it gives this example. They tried to establish, they tried to establish standards for a new philosophical approach. And so really, really, I know that they water it down in modern times, but really it basically is saying the same thing here. Uh, They just said in authority instead of sovereign authority. And of course, we know who has set the standard for the whole world, and that was God. So basically, basically, they said the same thing. I want you to bear with me because I was sent an article explaining why the left hates conservatism. And the author made one very plain statement in this article, which was this. Conservatism conserves. That's real deep, isn't it? But he goes on. Conservatism attempts to conserve the best of the past, the best art, literature, music, we understand this is a secular author, the best art, literature, and music, the best standards, values, and wisdom. Conservatism then passes the best of everything to every succeeding generation. And that too, ladies and gentlemen, is what sovereign standards are about. It's conserving the best standards, the best values, the best wisdom that God has passed down from the very beginning, actually. Absolutely. And I don't want to try to read the whole article to you, but please allow me to share a few other things that this author stated because it really goes hand in hand in what we are going to be looking at tonight and even in time to come. 
he went on and said this, the left, meaning progressives, not necessarily, not necessarily liberals, loathes the fact that conservatism preserves the past. That is why change is one of the most cherished words in the left's vocabulary. There is nothing more threatening or perhaps more important, uh, boring to a leftist than preserving the past. New and change provide leftist meaning and excitement. And I don't believe they're going to have a hard time agreeing with me that that same principle would apply to Christianity today. No, no, no. People are looking for something new. People want change. They, they don't like the old standard that God set of, of the ways of praising and worship and living our life for God on this dark world. They don't want that. They want something new. They're looking for change. Let's do things different. Let's try to appeal uh, to, to the, to the uh, uh, crowds. And so bear with me as I share just a few more things from this article. He, he goes on and says this. Why are new and change intrinsic to leftism? One reason, as noted, is excitement. Excitement is important to human beings because it provides an adrenaline rush and because it seems to be an antidote to boredom. When your child complains that he or she is bored, your child is really saying, I want some excitement. It's, it is difficult to overstate how important boredom is in shaping human conduct. Now stay with me here. As I have long argued, S plus A equals B, or secularism plus affluence equals boredom. And boredom in the contemporary world leads to leftism. Leftism is an endless search for exciting causes such as saving the world from alleged extinction, fighting racism and white supremacy in a largely non-racist America, combating fascism in what was for more than 200 years until the left changed it, the freest country in the world, trying to force society to accept a brand new definition of human sexual identity, namely that contrary to all of recorded history, it is non-binary. All these exciting causes are led by the affluent and the secular. In other words, the bored. The bored. There are a lot of people that have walked away from conservative church services because they're bored with the old-fashioned stuff. It's not exciting enough. We need something different. We want something new. This just isn't working anymore in our world. But if God has never changed because of societies or cultures, should we? Oh, okay. <laughs> It's the 21st century, and God hasn't let societies change him. He has not let culture save, change him. He has not let uh, philosophical ideas change him. He has always remained the same, and he will always remain the same. Amen. And God has set a standard. And he went on to write this. Come on, just one more. Stay with me. 
A second reason for the left's love of the new and love of change is that if traditional standards of excellence, of, mm, come on, is that if traditional standards of excellence are preserved, the talentless will fail. Just as the cultural left fought to award every young person a trophy, whether or not his or her team actually won. Come on, the world went crazy, didn't it? And that's where it's at. No, 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 no. There, there's, okay. And then, then just, just a little bit more. For these reasons, the end of conservatism must lead to the end of Western civiliza- civilization. When you don't conserve the ideas and art, the religious moral values, and even the nuclear family that made Western civilization the most advanced civilization, materially, morally, scientifically, and artistically ever devised, you will no longer have that civilization. Listen, he, he writes this. You will have morally confused emotionally broken, lonely, and angry young people who will eventually wreak havoc on all that is good and worthy of surviving. We conservatives want to conserve the beautiful, the profound, and the wise. What does the left wish to conserve? The answer is nothing. That's why everything the left touches, it destroys. And get this last statement. The less, you, the less you can serve, the more you destroy. No, that's a great statement. Especially when it's talking about the Bible and what God has for us. Come on. The less you can serve, the more you destroy. Without safeguarding the standard that's set by our sovereign power, God Almighty... People then are left to do that which is right in their own eyes. They just do whatever they wanted, want to do. But God never has, and He never will accept such. In 1 Kings chapter 11, the last part of verse 31 says this, Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and will give ten tribes to thee, um, Verse 33 goes on, it goes, says this, because that they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtaroth, the goddess, the goddess of the Zidonians, uh, Kamosh, the god of the Moabites, Milcom, the god of the children of Ammon, Ammon and have not walked in my ways to, that, to do that which is right in mine eyes and to keep my statutes and my judgment as did David his father. Um, God was not happy that people decided that they could just live any way they wanted to live without taking thought of how he wants us to live. I know that we live in a day of grace and I'm for one are very happy about that. But God hasn't changed. I said, just because we live in a day of grace, God has not changed. He hasn't, he hasn't changed. Not at all. We know that it has been in the heart of man to do that which is right in his own eyes for thousands of years. Truly. 
But we also know that it's not God's desire for man to do so. God's desire for man is that we would, get this, that we would love him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. And we know, we already know this, we know that if we are loving him in that manner, that we're going to be striving to do things his way. Come on. If we are loving him with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind really trying to do that, we are going to be trying hard to do things his way. Listen, even when it goes against our own desires. Yeah, absolutely so. Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15, if ye love me, keep my commandments. So if the first and great commandment is that we're to love God, love God with everything in us, then the proof of us at least trying to love him is that we are going to be trying to live the way that he would have us to live no matter what. Okay, he's going to be more important than me. He's going to be more important than you and your desires and your wants and your wishes. Come on, wouldn't that be right? Somebody help me out here. Everybody's just waiting for the ice to crack here, but I'm telling you, God has set a standard. We cannot, no, 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 no. We can't just shut down because that word standards is brought up again and everybody's got this idea and where's preacher going with all this and all that. I'm not going anywhere but to the Bible. And that's where we're going to be going in weeks ahead as we look at different things because God has set a standard and it's good for us to know what his standard is. Look, it's the nature of the beast absolutely to want new and to want change as was noted in that secular article that we read there. We are the ones that make the decision to do things God's way or do things our own way. We make that decision. In our text tonight, Jesus has been in the wilderness fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and is now being tempted by the devil. Um, We know that in a prior chapter that the Lord had been baptized because he was launching out on his earthly ministry. We know that baptism is identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ now and making public uh, our decision to die to the old life and with God's help to live the new life that God has for us. We understand that. Somebody say amen. Absolutely. No, no, no. We're identifying with Christ. The old life is dead. We're being raised to, to, to live the new life. And once we make the decision to live our life for God, the battle begins. It begins. Oh, absolutely so. The fight is on. I promise you. That's absolutely the truth. Well, I don't know. I just don't understand all this. No, 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 no. The devil hates God, and he will do anything to shame God through his children. I'm talking about you and me that are saved. He'll do anything to shame God through us. Well, preacher, I just thought once I got saved, the Christian life was going to be so easy. You know, I mean, that, 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 it, that, 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 that it would just take care of all of my problems. Well, let me, let me just remind you or refresh you or tell you that nowhere in the Bible does it ever tell us that the life of the believer will be easy. But it, tell, it does tell us that God is always there for us and that he will help us through all of our trials and all of our problems if we so allow him to do that. He will help us with those things. 
So Jesus, after he had fasted for 40 days and his flesh was at its weakest, was then tempted of the devil. And you notice there in verse number one, I'm sure you did, it says, then, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit, capital S. That would be the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost of God, into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. So Jesus went through, Jesus went through what he went through. Please get this. He went through what he went through um, so that he might know what we go through living in this body of flesh. He was 100% God and he was 100% man. And that flesh side was uh, going to experience the things of this earth and this life so that when we go to him with whatever we might be facing, that he knows exactly what we're going through. And so he's at one of his weakest points. Come on, can you imagine? Have you ever fasted for three days and thought you were just going to (laughs) die? Okay, have you ever fasted for three hours and thought you were going to die? He's fasted for 40 days. Come on, his flesh is weak. I mean weak. And, 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 and he's led up of the Spirit to be tempted of the devil. And we know that he was tempted in all points yet without sin. Hallelujah. The perfect sinless Son of God, although tempted as we are tempted, never sinned. Never sinned. However, he does know what we went through during, uh, what we go through during our times of temptation, even when we are at our weakest point. And as he was up there being tempted by the devil, the devil used the same things to tempt Jesus that he uses on you and I today. Same things. Because it starts out there in verse 2, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. So Jesus was hungry. And the devil knew that and tempted him with his fleshly desire right there. No, verse number three. And when when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made to bread. Why did he do that? Because Jesus was hungry. He was hungry. You know, the devil studies you and he knows what your weaknesses are. And he knows how to tempt you with those. I mean, he'll come to you at it time and time again. No, no, he knew exactly where Jesus was. He knew what had been going on. Uh, and, and, and he brought to him the very first thing he hadn't eaten in 40 days. Man, he said, see those rocks? Just turn them to bread. Mercy, if you're, if you're the son of God, turn those stones to bread. Look, we, we, have, to, we have to learn to identify when that is happening to you or I. I mean, when we're trying so hard to do right, and all of a sudden, all this stuff's in front of us that would cause us to do wrong. When we're trying so hard to do right, and it seemed like everybody around us just, just pushes me over the edge again. Come on, it's spiritual, it's spiritual warfare. Anytime we decide we're going to do what God would have us to do, the fight is on. And that's what's going on here. And we need to learn to identify when that's happening and then fight it the way that Jesus teaches us to fight it right here. Because Jesus' answer was this. It is written. What did he do? Couldn't he just wipe out the devil? He could have. No, I'll go ahead and say it again. He could have. 
I'll say it one more time. Absolutely so. He could have wiped him out right there. It been the end of it. That wasn't one God's plan. Because God's plan for you and me wasn't fulfilled yet through his only begotten son. And he wanted to fulfill the will of the Father. And so what he did is what you and I ought to do. He went straight to the word of God. He immediately went to God's word. Listen, friend, the worst battles we fight in this, the worst battles that we fight in this lifetime aren't with other people. The worst battles that we fight in this lifetime are fought against the wickedness of this world. Absolutely so. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers, the rulers of the darkness and uh, of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It is a spiritual battle. Listen, you will not win the battles that you face even against your own flesh until you realize those battles are against God's arch enemy. He's going to do everything he can to ruin you. He's going to do everything he can to wash you out. He's going to do everything he can to get you out of church. He's going to do everything he can to keep you from reading your Bible. He's going to do everything he can to keep you from praying. He's going to do everything he can to keep you from giving. He's going to do everything he can to get you to be doing things that you know you should not be doing. I am telling you, he is our enemy. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now, do we believe this is the word of God? So every word's important, right? And Jesus even said it right there. Every word is important. We live by every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And that is God's standard. Mercy, preacher, God set a high standard. Sure did. Uh, okay, let me, let me stop here for just a second. God set a real high standard. I <laughs> know, oh, it's way up there. Come on, you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. His standard is, it's way up there. Okay. God's standard... God's, we we, we want to stay at a level, but, but God's standard truly is much higher than Riverside Baptist Church standard. Oh, much higher. Oh, absolutely so, much higher. Preacher, why, why, do, you, why do you try to hold it so high? Why, why, why can't we just kind of, you know, slack off a little bit and be like some of these? Because I'm telling you, no, 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 no. I'm telling you, every time that you lower the standard people aren't going to rise to it. They're just going to keep lowering and lowering their standard. So we try hard around here to keep the standard high. So people will be reaching for it. People will be striving to get there. People will be trying to live more holy than they lived yesterday. Because that's God's wish, right? Be ye holy for I am holy. I mean, absolutely, it is. God's standard is that we would live by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. That we would take his word seriously and apply it to every area of our lives. And I'm here to tell you tonight, don't lose me, I'm here to tell you tonight, that is not a man-made standard That comes straight from God. It's straight from God. Then the devil took the the Lord to the pinnacle of the temple. 
as a place of great height and tempted him to jump off there. Taking scripture completely out of context. Oh, look at verse 5. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written. Isn't it crazy the devil starts quoting scripture to Jesus? No, no, no. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and their hands they shall and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. <clears throat> Can I tell you that the devil knows the Bible better than you do? Oh, he knows it much better than you do. Absolutely so. Um, and, and, and he's been twisting it for centuries to use it for his advantage. And that's why it's so important, ladies and gentlemen, that's why it's so important that we know it for ourselves. That we know it well. And that we'd not be fooled by the false doctrine that's out there. And that we'd not be making decisions contrary to what God has for us. It's so very important. Verse number 7, And Jesus said unto him, It is written again. (laughs) No, no, the the Bible... Man, oh man, oh man. God does not want us to make decisions contrary to what He has for us. He wants us to make our decisions based upon what He is telling us in His Word. I mean, there in verse number 7, verse 7, Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. We're not to test God. We're to trust God. God is faithful. And His Word is true. All of it. And if He says that we should do this, we should do it. And if He says we should abstain from this, we should abstain. His word is truth. It's truth. Don't let the devil ever convince you otherwise. That's why the devil has twisted his word so much and has all these other different versions of the Bible out there that if you want to and you want to look hard enough, you can find the one that will agree with you. They're there. They're out there. They've even got one now, Brother Aaron, that, 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 that God is referenced as she, her. We've gone nuts. But there's Bibles out there that will, will agree with you about anything that you want to do if you look hard enough. And that's why I'm very thankful that we have this old King James Version of the Bible that I truly believe with everything in me is the preserved Word of God for the English-speaking people. I believe it with every part of my being. And anytime we venture away from that, looking for something different, we are just following the devil. Don't let the devil convince you otherwise that God's Word is true. And let me throw this in there too, because it's very, very dangerous to start listening to self more than you're listening to God. I'll say it again. It's very dangerous to start listening to self more than you're listening to God. 
Because we can convince ourselves of just about anything we would like to if we think on it long enough. It's crazy how we can talk ourselves out of doing things that the Bible makes very clear that we ought to be doing. Let God be true and every man a liar. Even ourselves. We have to be very careful about that. And then the devil took Jesus up on a high mountain and offered him everything that he could see. All the great kingdoms of this world. Look at there. Um, Verse 8. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he saith unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. <clears throat> he said, uh, If you'll just fall down and worship me, I'll give you all these kingdoms, everything you can see. Well, that's kind of weird, isn't it? No, because he was able to do that because this earth is Satan's kingdom. Uh, the day is coming and it no longer belonged to him, but it does now. Now, this world is a very dark place, truly. And the devil wanted Jesus to fall down and worship him. That's what he wanted. Because he's always wanted uh, the worship that only God deserves. The devil's always wanted that. Are y'all still with me? Somebody say amen. He's always wanted, he's always wanted that. That's why there are satanic churches that practice horrible, horrible, vile things. Even right here in St. Joseph, Missouri. Oh no, they're here. Absolutely so. They're very, very real. You know, Halloween's fast approaching, and I know there's a lot of controversy about this, but it's the devil's holiday. I said, it's not a holiday that Christians ought to celebrate. Again, I know there's a lot of controversy about that. This whole month, but this whole month, no, listen to me, please. At least listen to me about this. This whole month is filled with wicked rituals that all come to head on October 31st. Oh, no, it's very true. It's very, very real. There are being people that are being taken captive by satanic churches and held captive for pretty much the month of October until that day. And then terrible things happen. Oh, I'm not going to go into all of it. I know the company we have here. I know the children we have here. But I'm telling you, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's bad. It's, 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 it's not good. It's just not good. I've never really been a big fan of celebrating Halloween. You know, ghosts and goblins and witches and blood guts and gore really have no place in a Christian's life. I didn't expect a lot of return from that, but it's really the truth. You need to be very, very careful what you teach your children. That's a whole other message, but it, it, anyway, it's in there anyway. Jesus answered the devil once again, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. There in verse number 10. Jesus quoted Scripture until the devil left. And that's always the best way to fight temptations in your life. 
Memorize the Bible. It's going to serve you well if you'll do so. Jesus, get this now, Jesus set a standard there for you and me. He set the standard. He did that. And that addresses everything that you and I will deal with in this life. What are you talking about, preacher? Turn over to 1 John chapter 2. Come on, we're moving along good. 1 John 2. First John chapter number two. And uh, look at verse number 15. First John chapter number two and verse number 15. The Bible says this, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So he talks about the lust of the flesh. Jesus was, turned, uh, was tempted to turn the stones to bread because he hungered. It was the lust of the flesh. There are many other lusts of the flesh, I know that, of which many are not good. You know, you might be tempted to quit on God, but that's not coming from God. Anything that your flesh desires that is outside the will of God can be corrected by going to God's standard, the Word of God. We don't let the flesh control us. Hopefully, we allow the Word of God to direct us and control us in everything that we do. Hopefully, that is. The Bible is the Word of God. It is our final authority. We will not forsake it. We're going to go to it. We're going to live by it. Well, I tell you, it's really hard to do in this world. Exactly. That's exactly the point that's made. But it is God that has set this standard. God said it. He did it. Don't let, the, don't let the lust of the flesh take you down. No, 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 no. Don't, don't allow it to make you quit serving God. Your flesh is wicked. It wants what it wants when it wants it. And if you don't shut it down, you might end up completely out of church one of these days and living a life you never dreamed you'd ever be living. Because the flesh will lead you. But it also talks about the lust of the eyes. And we know that the devil offered Jesus the kingdoms of this world, everything that he could see. Don't let your eyes be set on the wrong things. Don't get to thinking if you just had this or just had that, that you'd be complete, you'd be happy. No, 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 don't, don't, don't set your eyes on things that you should not be lusting after because it will, I guarantee it will drag you further down than you ever thought it would. Psalm 101 verse 3 says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave to me. The lust of the flesh, it'll take you down and the lust of the eyes will take you down, won't it? Oh, I need one of those. Probably not. 
Don't let the lust of the eyes take you down. No, 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 no. Keep your eyes on the Lord. It's God's standard. And then the pride of life. For all is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. See, get this, get this. He wanted Jesus to fall down and worship him. What caused him to want that? Pride. It was pride that got him kicked out of heaven. I want to be like the Most High. I want everything he has. Who does he think he is? Tell us what we can, what we can do, what we can't do. He wanted to be like the Most High. We have to be very careful. Don't get to thinking you're the Most High. Oh, what are you talking about, preacher? Well, don't, don't be your own God. Running your own life the way you want to instead of listening to, to the God that loves you and wants the best for your life. Don't be your own God. Don't decide what's right and wrong. Let God tell you what's right and wrong. Don't decide what you should be doing or not, or not be doing. Let God tell you what you should be doing or not be doing. God set the standard with this book. People that become their own God will start making godless decisions instead of following the standard that God has given us. I'm talking about the blessed old Bible that we have. Making their own decisions. Well, you know, I know what the Bible says about that, but hold it, that is a bad statement. No, no, no. You, if that comes across in your mind or across your lips, you better stop yourself right there and rethink that real good. I know what God's Word says, but... Why would we argue with God when He has set the standard? You know the biggest difference between, and, 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 and I, I, I want to say this in the right spirit and right manner. You know what I believe the biggest difference between Riverside Baptist Church and maybe many other, other churches that are here in St. Joseph uh, are, is I, I, I believe it's that we really just try to adhere to the Bible. That's what has caused the good spirit that's here at Riverside Baptist Church. Come on, it wasn't a preacher, that's for sure. It was God as we follow Him and His standard. He blesses the church. He causes the spirit to be what it is. When we are listening to Him, when we are doing things His way, when we decide that he is more important than we are. Make sure that the things that you're doing, the things... No, no, listen to me. Listen to me. Look, look, men, listen to me. As the husband, as the father, make sure the decisions that you're making are based upon what God has for your family. And not what you think is best for your family. When you begin to desire change and something new that does not line up with the Bible, 
I just want to remind you that you're headed in a bad direction. Because it's God that has set the standard, not some church, not some preacher. Come on, when your job becomes more important than the house of God, you're in bad trouble. When your children become more important than the house of God, you're in trouble. When you're making decisions based upon what others think you ought to do instead of what God wants you to do, you're in trouble. When you're making decisions that are destroying your life and destroying your family and destroying your future that go contrary to what God would say, you are in bad trouble. And what God wants us to do is just look back to His standard, do what He would have us to do. And I can guarantee you great victories ahead for all of us and for our church. God has standards. Whether we like to think about that or not, God has standards. He has standards. And we're going to be looking at a few more of them in the coming weeks. Well, I guess you're going to be trying to tell us what to do. Just stop right there. Goodness gracious. I've been here almost 15 years, almost 15 years, and I haven't tried to boss anybody around yet. I haven't tried to make anybody do anything yet except to make them live for God. That's my responsibility. But I'm not going to be twisting any arms. What I tell you in the weeks to come and even what I've told you tonight, now it's between you and God. That's what the invitation time's all about. Am I going to do it my way? Or am I going to do it God's way? That's a decision you have to make. But I guarantee you when we get to looking for something, well, you know, just I tell you, I just don't know why everybody, I just don't seem like, and I just, you know, we just need some change. We need something new. We need something different. Uh, I don't know. The way that God set the standard, it's worked for a long time. I don't think we ought to try to change it. But tonight, Tonight, let's, let's go ahead and make the decision that we're going to follow His standard rather than ours. You have to make that decision. Nobody else can make it for you. Sir, you have to make it. Ma'am, you have to make it. Kids, you have to make it. Nobody can make it for you. No, let me stop for just a second. Really doing good. <clears throat> to the best of my ability... I have tried not to practice performance-based Christianity around here. What are you talking about? Accepting people because, you know, they've won the most souls or they've got the biggest Bible or they live this way. Oh, no, 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 oh, no, no. We don't practice performance-based Christianity around here. We're not looking down at our nose at others because they're not doing things just the way that we're doing it. No, we're praying for one another and we're accepting of one another and we're helping one another and we're there for one another and we want them to do what God would have them to do. What God would have them to do. Not just what the preacher wants, not just what the church wants, not what mom and dad want, but what God wants them to do. We're not about performance-based Christianity. Should we be living for the Lord? Yes. Should we have our life dedicated to God? Yes. Should we be serving God? Absolutely so. You can't read the Bible and see anything else. 
But it's not about how much you do. We're accepted in the Lord Jesus Christ. But then we have to make the decision that He's more important than we are. And have that willingness to do what God would have us to do. And then look in His book, that one, that is a King James Bible you have there in it, Matthew. Okay, all right. Just kidding. Look in His book, follow His standard, and watch Him bless us tremendously for just doing things His way. Boy, oh boy. That is exactly what I want for Riverside Baptist Church. Exactly. Exactly. Because when I fall over dead one of these days, I don't want somebody's standards to die with me. I want us to continue on living the way... Come on, stay with me. Wake up. I want us to continue on living the way that God would have us to live because we've decided that God's more important than we are. More important than anything. So let's make a decision even tonight to follow His standard. Once we understand what really God wants out of His Word, we should be more than willing, more than willing to practice it. No, no, it should be like, well, if that's that what God says, yes. Well, that's what I need to do then. Exactly. And when we do that, the blessings of God are very real. When we get things out of our life that shouldn't be there, we're blessed because of it. When we put things in our life that God wants us to do, we're blessed because of it. Here's the standard. Let's make a decision to follow it and whatever God would have us to do. Stand with me, will you? Thank you so much for being attentive tonight. Let's stand. Our heads are bowed. Father, bless the invitation now as only you can. Help us to be determined, decidedly determined to follow you no matter what you want in our lives. No matter what everybody else does around us. No matter what everybody else might think about how you speak to us and the standard you have for us. Help us be decided that we're going to do what you want, no matter what the rest of the world does. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. Thank you for the Bible. Help us in weeks ahead as we continue on to look in your word. Lord, help us to be very open to the standard that you have set for mankind. We thank you for your goodness and mercy and pray you'll bless the invitation time now as only you can. We trust you for that. We ask it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The altar's open, piano's playing.